Da -na 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 -na. I have my coffee and I am three sips away from brilliance. Focus, focus, focus. Are you too good to focus? You're too good to focus. Hey, I thought it was two. I thought it was it two doesn't want to focus. But oh, everyone no. knows I drink from the No Bad Days cup. It's <laughs> 9 a.m. here on the sunny Gold Coast. Nice. Middle of winter. Middle of winter. I just want to give a quick shout out to Chicken Picks. Summer Cable and ET Guitars for sponsoring the show. I'm not sure if people out there that watch this know, but if you can't find yourself watching it and you want to listen to us talking while you're driving or whatever, you can find this on all the regular podcast sites, which was a yeah. suggestion somebody gave me not that long ago, uh, but I'm not sure if people know that. But awesome. enough yabba yabba from me because there is a ding dong and somebody's at my door and it is no other than Miss... Nilly Brush. Hey, Nilly. Oh! <laughs> How are you doing? I'm great. How about you? Uh, as I said, a few sips away from brilliance with my morning right. coffee. I did warn you that if we moved it forward a couple of hours that I will be in my pajamas and I'm wearing my best pajamas for you. And That's my, awesome. <laughs> my cat I hat. That. I need a beanie like that. It's it's only one step away from beanie with a propeller on it, right? So. That would be super nerdy and super cool. I uh, I I think you'd rock it. So. <laughs> you know, um, with just the current state here and having to wear masks and things, um, I found it really inconvenient to actually put the holders up under your your ears on a face mask <laughs> while wearing a beanie, and then I realised mm. I can actually hook them around here. And that works oh, really wow. well. Yeah, yeah. It's so, super quick. Okay. So that's basically the wearing a mask version of your suspenders holding up your pants at your chest level, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's funny. So as I told everybody, I'm here on the sunny Gold Coast in Australia. Let everybody know where you are. I am in sunny Las Vegas. Well, it's mostly sunny. Yeah, but it's like four o'clock. So uh, quite a bit of time difference. Um, in and the very, middle of summer. Very hot. Uh, I just commented before, you have the world's biggest uh, drink bottle there. <laughs> yes, you're going to see my water throughout the interview because I'm always drinking water. Uh, <laughs> very dry here. You know, people forget that uh, you have to continue to drink water in the winter because you don't really feel, uh, you know, it's not warm, but it's so dry that uh, dehydration like catches on you quick. So I'm always like with my huge water bottle. Cool, cool. Life lesson. Very now, important. Am I right in thinking you're originally from Israel? I am, yeah. yeah. At what age did you move to the United States? So I was 12 when my family decided to move. And, you know, uh, the beginning of seventh grade is maybe not the best time to go all the way across the world. Uh, luckily, I knew the language. So I didn't feel that was a barrier. But just in general, um, in Israel, it would have been the start of junior high, and in the U.S., it was the middle of middle school. So I thought that everybody was going to be new as well, and to my surprise, they had been together in sixth grade, and now we have to, you know, and so so being 12 and going through that uh, change was certainly not easy, but it's it's something that I'm uh, definitely grateful for today. We, we moved to the Boston area, which is where I ultimately grew up, so cool. yeah. Cool. And were you already playing guitar in Israel, or was that something that bit the, did the bug bite you once you moved to uh, the states? 
That's actually a good question. It's it's kind of a little bit of both. So um, I started out taking lessons on tiny little nylon string when I was seven um, because my my brother Ethan Brosh plays guitar and I wanted to be like my cool older brother and and I was like you know musically inclined I guess my family thought and uh, I was told that that would be one of the instruments I'd be good at and so I was like yes that's you know that's the one I want um, but in my childhood I didn't really practice it all that much I didn't really feel connected to guitar music per se yet it was just like let's learn a musical instrument and I want to do this one. Um, but then probably a couple of years before we moved, I, I discovered, I mean, I, I knew the song more than words, whatever, but like I discovered extreme porn and graffiti and the whole album and everything and became a very diehard <laughs> fan to this day. And so um, Nuno Betancourt and that album was really what made me want to play electric guitar for the sake of playing electric guitar and for a specific sound and all that kind of thing. And, um, so when my parents <laughs> announced that it was Boston of all places that they were moving me to, uh, this dorky 12 year old fan was like, yeah, it's the hometown of extreme. Let's cool. go. Yes. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Uh, so then I got my first electric guitar and started taking lessons in the States and everything. And when I got to probably early high school, I think is when I really started practicing more seriously, but, uh, but I guess my journey with the guitar in general has, has been a long one. And I, you know, I had some fundamentals and I, I knew some stuff and everything, but, uh, but, you know, I wouldn't have called it a, a kid who really practiced. <laughs> so. Yeah. Right. Okay. So when you were just playing the nylon string, were you, uh, were you getting lessons and learning like traditional kind of yeah. things? That, yeah. 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 So uh, I had, I had like fundamentals, like, you know, I, I, I did know how to sight read. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a great reader. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm still a guitar player, you know, but, um, but I didn't, I, I knew what's going on and I knew some chords and, and uh, I could finger pick a little bit or whatever. Um, but beyond, you know, I think when, I think when I got to the electric guitar, it was like starting from, from bar chords, you know what I mean? I, it's, yep. it's not like really knew a lot, but you know, I was a kid. So well, we weren't there yet. <laughs> sure, sure. What was your first uh, electric? I can remember too, you know. So. What was your first electric guitar? Uh, it was a Mexican Strat. And it actually wasn't bad, you know, for, for I think it was like a $300 guitar in 2000. So it wasn't bad, you know, it wasn't like, I think the Squires were a new thing back then. And I remember that being like, as far as my kid self in Guitar Center could tell, like to me that looked like okay, we're not gonna go that cheap. We're not. We don't need to like do a complete starter guitar. You know, we're not gonna go to the bottom of the barrel with this thing. Um, but that was kind of like a good intro level strat. Let's call it. Yeah. <laughs> it's still. I mean, it's, it's a strat. You know. But yeah. Um, but yeah. No. I and and that guitar was with me for like a couple of years before I, I got my, uh, I got a Charvel model four off of eBay and that was like my next real guitar. So cool. Cool. Well, I've always seen you, um, playing super strat style guitars and mm. I really do think whatever style of guitar gets thrown in your hands at first really, um, influences your choices later, huh? Cause I'm, I'm, I've got a rack full of guitars over there and most of them are strat style. Mm. Uh, and is that, the same for you like everything seems to be 
I think so. I mean, I, I have felt for many years that I can kind of get used to whatever instrument is in my hands. Like eventually I get used to it, you know, and I just play what I, whatever I play on it. But I've definitely learned what my preferences are over time, you know, because I think that's something that when you don't know a lot about the instrument or you're playing, it's, it's a hard thing to answer past, I like this player and I like this color and I like this sound or, you know, um, but now that I know my playing a lot better, it's a lot easier for me to say like, this is, these are the specs that make sense for me. Um, and yeah, super strats were definitely always a big thing for me. And, and just the Ibanez shredder thing in general, I guess, let's call it, you know what I mean? Like that was always conducive to what I do on the instrument, you know, it always felt comfortable. So cool. I'm also, I'm not, you know, I'm not such a gear nerd that I'm like after the littlest details all the time, you know, I'm, I'm very much, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person. Yep. And once I found what works for me for whatever reason that might be, uh, I just kind of decided to stay there unless there's a, there's something so groundbreaking that I have to check out, you know what I mean? Like, and, and at that point, you know, most people know about it, you know, so, so chances are I, I stick to what I know. <laughs> so I'm taking it that after moving to Boston, you would have eventually have met Nuno? Yeah, I met all of them. It's it's funny because I, I've met them t- tons of times through the years and everything, but um, that first couple of years that we were living there, I was definitely like that kid super fan that, that went to like any and every as little as an autograph event at some music store to see any member of extreme at any, at any time. And my parents like to this day, like, you know, I thank them so much for, for being so cool and for like taking me to do that on weekends. And, and, and Gary, especially like, especially back then too, like he, he kind of like noticed me around from being like that kid fan that always showed up because, you know, I I think in 2000, there probably weren't, too many 12 year olds at that time that were doing that so he was always really cool to my family and and to me and like he would invite us to to sound checks and things because they would do a lot of club gigs at that time and and i mean it wasn't as extreme right but like they would be doing club gigs and and i couldn't go if i wasn't 21 or 18 or whatever so he would always kind of take pity on me and invite me to the sound check and and um so yeah so they're both like really really supportive now that they kind of know me on the other side of this whole thing, you know, so it's, it's kind of funny, you know, I, I don't think Nuno would like, he wouldn't remember me from like meeting me as a, as a kid back then, but I don't know if somebody caught him up to the story by now or not, or what connection it is, but like, they've both like been so extremely, so extremely supportive that I just, I, I couldn't, you know, it still feels crazy. So cool. Yeah. cool. Yeah. I, um, I had a bit of a, a Nuno story. Um, Nuno married the lead singer of a friend of mine's band. That's uh, right. Australian band, right. Baby Animals. Yep. Yep. And um, he was out on tour with them not long after they got married. And uh, my friend Dave rang me up and they were playing in Brisbane, which is about a, a, an hour north of here. He's like, hey, man, come to the show tonight. Uh, come hang out. Uh, I got somebody here that you might want to meet. And just hung up on the phone with me, on me. And I was thinking, oh, my God, is Nuno on there with mm-hmm. them? And I went to watch the show. And I was standing by the, the sound desk uh, and then this guy comes and stands next to me and I sort of just looked at him, looked away. And then the, the penny dropped. It was like, 
oh my God, that's Luno. <laughs> and ended up hanging out after the show then. And it was my 21st birthday a couple of days oh later. Wow. Yeah, about two days later, it was my 21st and they were playing in my hometown, the Gold Coast. And I went to one of their shows and then afterwards went to a bar and got drunk and try not to, to fanboy out too much. But I, I look at those photos and, it, and it's just so funny. You can just see the look on my face, you know, just like. <laughs> you know what? I think, I think as long as you're respectful, I think the artists ultimately always appreciate the, the fangirling, you know, because it's like, everybody can tell when it's when it's genuine and it's not like you know most people it's not like they go and make a mockery of themselves like maybe they feel like they're being awkward but i think like as long as people are respectful like everybody appreciates true fans you know what i mean so um i i, I think I, I try to remember that when i'm fangirling about somebody <laughs> <laughs> well i saw you post uh, the other day on social media uh, that mm. Andy Timmons was one of your heroes, and oh yeah, yeah, yeah. he was the last live chat that I had on last week, and he I was know, a yeah, lovely guy. Uh, he's the best, and and Andy's another like he's someone I'm really like lucky to call like you know a close friend that I've known for for a long time now, and he's always been really helpful and just the nicest. I mean, you are you know he's the nicest dude. Yep, yep. So, so uh, apart from Nuno in the early days, who else uh, was a big influence on you? So Andy was was like really there from like some of the my early like years as well. He was someone that I discovered like really when I probably only a year or two later. Um, and then um, Iron Maiden, I got super into in early high school, and then that led me to a lot of the shred stuff and a lot of the shrapnel catalog, you know, and, and getting like heavy into that, like any 15 year old that wanted to shred kind of thing, you yep. know? Um, but I'm, again, it's like another thing that I'm ultimately grateful for because I didn't know that one of my first gigs was going to be with Tony McAlpine and that one day all that knowledge that I'd hopefully acquired, you know, was going to be put to good use and like become extremely relevant. So, um, so yeah, no, nobody could have like really prepared me for for that path, but uh, but I'm glad I have that, uh, you know, knowing that knowing those catalogs. Cool, cool. Now you mentioned uh, playing with Tony McAlpine. Yeah. Uh, what's some other names that you've played with over the years? Um, so uh, I've played with a lot of people. I'm very blessed. I'm, my, my first gig out of Berkeley when uh, after college was playing with the Iron Maidens. Cool. And I would like, come out to LA and and do gigs with them, uh, and that was that was always fun, and and that that really kind of gave me an introduction to to really being a, a musician after college and not like doing it like for school, you know, <laughs> like doing the real thing. Um, and it was a really good introduction for me because you know when i i went to music school and i was used to doing gigs with with my bands that i would have then and and the crowd would always be other people from your school and that kind of thing and it was very it was very much this you know what i mean yeah. like it, it was much like i can do that you know yeah. like you're just like waiting waiting till you mess up and and uh, and even though they were your you know you were friends with them yeah that's that's the thing that was weird and I I all, honestly didn't even really feel like that school was really that competitive I didn't feel like it was unfriendly or something but but I guess I did see gigging as like this this <laughs> this scary thing because that's what the audience is there to do so 
I remember going into it thinking like, okay, you know, I would, I would learn those maiden songs and I would learn the parts like with my ear to the speaker, you know, like just to make sure that I'm getting like the right parts and all the right, you know, and I'm thinking like, man, cause those fans, they're going to know when, when, you know, when every little thing is not played like the record, you know, cause, yeah. cause they know. And, and a lot of them, you know, they do, they're diehard fans and everything, but, uh, but I just expected it to be so much more judgy. And then you get out there and everybody's just like, so happy and drunk and dancing and just like happy that it's a bunch of girls playing maiden and rocking out and i was just like this is awesome like this is a lot easier than i than i thought it was gonna be you know um so having fun with that like really prepared me for uh for doing other things and um but you know other than than tony you know i i spent a couple of years with the cirque du solo show out which is what brought me to las vegas um, so that was their Michael Jackson show. It's called one. Uh, and it's an interesting situation cause it's not a traditional Cirque show or, or theater thing where there's a pit band or orchestra and, and they're not seen. And you know, that it's, it's not like that at all. It's actually, most of the show is using tracks and there's two live musicians, uh, myself having been one of them. And the other one is a female vocalist who they have like that were both characters in the show. I was actually like on stage, but she was riding on this like crescent moon that they would fly like over the house in and out for like, she was basically doing duets with Michael kind cool. of thing. Yep. So it was so really cool, you know? So for me, it was just an amazing opportunity because it was a featured character. It was based on Jennifer Batten, you know, if, like, you know, if you're being honest about it, like they don't say it, they're not gonna concede to that. For, yeah. I don't know why, like, I think that's a perfectly good reason, but um, but it but it is, you know? So so I had this like ridiculous gold outfit with huge boots and, and frills and insane wig and all this crazy stuff, big, heavy gold custom guitars, uh, one that shot fire. And, uh, oh yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was, that was the best part of the job is firing, uh, firing at the end of the beat at solo. Like when you're going, you know, like I was during that, there's a 30 foot arc of fire. Um, so it was really cool. It was really cool. You know, like I, I really had to play up my musicianship and like run around the stage with a bunch of professional athletes, former Olympian type people. And I was like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just a musician, but, but having to kind of hang with that was a really different set of skills and kind of bunch of experience, but still live experience and a ton of it. Cause we would do, I mean, they're going back to this, right. But they're, to 10 shows a week, every week for 48 weeks a year, if you're not injured or, you know, requested some sort of leave of absence or something. So, and I didn't have a, I was like the only person in the cast who didn't have a backup at that time. So if I was injured and out, they replaced me with tracks. Like the whole character yeah, was okay. out. Yeah, yeah. I really tried to be in the show, but um, yeah, I mean, it, I, I loved that gig and it was a lot of fun, but I think I did it for two years and it just, it just like kind of took a toll on my, on my body. And so I, I may go back and do it part-time at some point just because I, I love it. And I, I never feel like the door is closed on anyone I've played with or, or worked with, you know, yeah. and I, I kind of like keeping it interesting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was definitely like a chapter, you know, <laughs> and then I, I just liked living here so much that I decided to stay. Um, cool. Cool. Yeah. And did you start gigging, 
before you went to Berkeley or was that, uh, was that afterwards? Um, I mean, I guess that depends on like what you call gigging, you know, like when I was in high school, I, like, I felt like the extent of gigging could have, it was, was like battle of the bands you did at your school with your friends thing. So I don't know, you know, it's, I don't consider that pro gigging or gigging on any, of any, any kind. I mean, I guess I'd, I'd performed, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't like I was foreign to, to the stage in any way or anything like that, but it, I didn't feel like I was really professionally working until I left college. Yep. Okay. And yeah. when you first started playing, what were you using as an amp? Like I, I actually didn't have an amp for a year or two after picking up electric guitar. And I would yeah. just hold, the, hold my headstock against the wall and the, and the whole wall would resonate. <laughs> wow. Uh, and that was my, oh, yeah, I can hear that. Uh, oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I got myself like a little PV, which sounded completely terrible now in hindsight. But I'm always interested <laughs> well, what people started playing through. What was yours? You got to, you know, you got to have some uh, – you got to be kind to yourself about that because I think that's everyone, you know, when we, when we start and I know people now that, you know, because the, the game has changed so much with uh, plugging in the stuff that uh, there's people now that just don't even own amps, you know, and that to me is like a, a crazy concept, but I get it, you know? So, but for me, I, <laughs> listen, I was a lucky bratty kid with an older brother that had gear. <laughs> so. Cool. He helped me out more than once. I, I do have to. I do have to say that. So uh, that definitely bailed me out a bunch uh, until I was like kind of ready to buy a head in a cab, you know. Yeah. So. You know, similar for me. I, uh, not my own brother. I didn't have any any brothers growing up. Uh, but my friend's brother was in the army, but he was a guitar nerd and had all this mm. cool stuff. And when he's when his brother was away, and if I had a show to play, my friend would bring all these pedals and things. Go, oh, let's try try this and that. And uh, so that was a bit of an exposure into trying out gear that I normally mm-hmm. wouldn't have. First up was a friend's older brother, so <laughs> very thankful for that. But you, you mm-hmm. said about um, people not really using amps anymore. Like the, you're you're a headrush girl, aren't you? I mean, partially, yeah, I do use the headrush a lot. Um, I have a, my, my main rig is still a, a JSX head. Yeah. Um, I have an Ignator Tourmaster 2x12. Um, and, you know, I, and headrush knows this, you know, so it's not weird or anything, but like, they know I love their product and I do, and I use it a, a ton with so many things that make sense. Like, especially, you know, any anything that's, well, I mean, I was about to say any recording that that isn't necessarily like a full length album, but to be fair, like even then, like I'm starting to use some of some of it for that just because it, it sounds really good, you know. So I do use it in a lot of situations. I've used it in a bunch of live situations uh, where it like just completely saved my back, you know. And I've had to start prioritizing that after I got injured um, doing what I do, right? So. Um, so that's helped a lot, but I, I do have to say that like at heart, I'm still a tube amp kind of person and the, the, the feeling under my fingers, pushing the air and all that kind of stuff, um, is, is like a real thing. So whenever it still makes sense and especially like big gigs, you know, while, while they were still happening, uh, you know, I, I felt, felt weird, like maybe going out and doing a festival with a, with a head rush. So I still would, you know, I still have heads and cabs and stuff like that. And, uh. And it's going to remain a part of 
of what I do. So it's just become very situational for me over the last few years. Yep. What were you using uh, when you're doing the, the Cirque du Soleil gig? They had an Axe Effects, uh, like their entire rig was like, it was like amazing that I was allowed to use my picks. You know oh, I mean? really? Really? <laughs> it like, yeah, it, it was like you had no, like, I do have to, like, you know, that, I guess that's one thing about that gig that would potentially bother a lot of guitarists to the point where they would just be like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not into this. Cause we're never asked to not play our instrument, not play our rig, not play our, through our tone and, you know, like all that stuff. And, you know, it was all good. Like it was all dialed in and, and it was set up by people who knew what they were doing, but, it's not necessarily what I would have done, you know? So I got used to it and I felt like, okay, you know, these are the tones for these and, and, and you do it. But, um, but yeah, it was, it was like real, like I didn't, you didn't, you didn't even switch the tones yourself, you know, like the, yeah, right. the acts, like they were sitting on a studio in a studio, like three floors above the stage, like controlled by it, by a whole team. And, you know, like calibrated for the time delay and just everything. Like it was that entire show is like automated in a way that it's just kind of unbelievable. The village that works on those shows, you what know, time? and how many people it takes. Yeah, there's there's like so many. I mean, and there's like a, also a, like a super expensive hologram, you know, like there's just like it's just there's a reason it's not a touring show, you know, like some of those shows in town, they're resident shows because they have to live in a certain theater because you really just can't you can't take that stuff around. Wow. That'd be weird playing. Never think about. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be strange playing through somebody else's patches and having, I know switching it all. It really does. But you just, you know, you become this whole character that's just like meant to be in that role. And so you kind of take on all that that means, you know, and eventually you get you and the guitar is played well. It's not like, you know, I, I want to preface that or not preface, but like reiterate that the gear was all good. You know what I mean? It's just it's just still odd that it's like, a all right, well, take it or leave it kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. But, and- but you know, I, I guess that's what happens when you don't have a band and you don't have an MD on, on site. And it's, you know, like if there's two musicians in the show, you're not going to be. Uh, their priority and they're not really going to know how to deal with you because they don't have a department for you, really. Right. Yeah. So, and, so a lot of it made sense. And just learning the parts for a show like that, was that all scored for you or did they give you tapes and you just listened to, to Yeah, to I had to learn everything by ear, but it wasn't, that part really wasn't tricky, you know, because it was mostly solos and some rhythm parts and they're all super famous Michael Jackson things that, you know, I, I would hope you would be able to learn for a gig like that, you know? So that wasn't an issue for me. I actually i am glad they didn't try to like write it all out for me because it would have taken way longer to learn that kind of music that way. So yeah. Yeah. But you did say you can read. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not the best reader in the world, really. Like truly I'm still a guitar player, but, but I, 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 I'll get away with it. Yeah. 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 So when you're trying to work things out, by ear when they they provide you songs that way do you use any particular software to slow things down to to get right into it um i have in the past i mean i've done a ton and ton of transcription in my life it's i guess like i think it's probably my strongest skill just because if i've had to log my practice hours on something they would all go to that pretty much it's it's just the way i've naturally 
gravitated towards doing things since I was a kid. Yeah. So I've owned that one skill for so many years that I, yeah, I used to use, uh, back in, back in the old days, I think it was like a Winamp plugin that I had to like slow stuff down. So it's like really going back. Um, but I just got to the point where I don't need to, or maybe just for like a, a small section of something, or maybe just to save time. Yep. Um, or if I really want to like, you know, make sure I have things to the tiniest, tiniest of details or whatever, but yep. it just, it depends on what it is. And I also auditioned for that show, like three times over the course of like five years or something. Oh, so really? I knew audition songs when I went in, it like really was not anything new by, by the time I'd gotten there. So yeah. 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 Cool. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I've seen you playing a lot of covers online. Um, and you nailed them all. It's great. Um, oh, how, how do you go? Like, are you one of these people that, that learns a song and you've got to record yourself doing cover of it straight away while you remember it? Or, yeah, yeah. 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 Because I've done that where I've posted covers of myself playing something and then six months later, somebody will go, hey, man, I saw you do that. Play it for me now. And I just look at them and go, oh, yeah, man. I haven't no, played it is- since then. You, dude, that has really started to bite me in the ass in doing clinics because yeah. I'll go into a clinic in some random place and and people will come to hear like decadence dance or something, you know, and they'll just be like, can you play that? And and like, well, maybe that one I would remember, um, you know, uh, the riff or something, you know, but even if it's something like that, that I've known my whole life, I'll be like, you know, it really goes in one ear and out the other. Like, like I have to be playing it all the time if, if, if I have to like, you know, uh, get it out of my sleeve. But, uh, now I, now I just kind of like try to play more solos like that just for fun, you know, just to remember them because, because it will come up, yeah. but yeah. I found that it's like, like I should be doing that, you know, it's fun. And, then you realize that you you do remember the stuff better than you think you do. It's not, it's never as, as buried in there as you think if you learned it once, you know? And and do you find that, that transcribing songs uh, is a great way of, of learning different techniques and different ideas from people? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think I can't recommend it enough in general, just because it's so much more than ear training and, you can't really count the ways that even helps you, you know, like it helps you in ways that you wouldn't even expect, you know? So just the more you can use your ears in general as a musician, I think you can't really go wrong because that's what you do with music. You know, you listen to it. So like if you strip everything else away and you don't have an instrument in your hand and all you have is, is your, your instrument and your ears, you know, and the more you can rely on that, like that'll save you out of situations that have nothing to do with the, you know, learning a cover song. So I just kind of feel like, you know, if like if I, for example, like if I had to choose between that and, and reading, you know, I think that's a more important skill because like if you have ears, no, no chart in the world is, is going to like stop you from, from getting to the point. You know what I mean? Like being able to read won't, won't be a hindrance if you can see, see what's going on with your ears. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I've got a friend um, that has played on so many classic hit records. It's not funny. Uh, and he said he's never had to read anything. He just goes in there and they play him the yeah, I mean, the, the, and, the tape. and you know what? I got to tell you, I'm learning now that Vegas is more of a reading town than, than anywhere I've worked or lived. Um, 
I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know why. I, I, I guess like there's so many like more like old school kind of, kind of gigs, I guess. But just in the last couple of months, I've been asked to read for stuff. And I was just like, wow, like I have never been asked that until this year. And, and like in any professional situation. And, and then in the last couple of months, it's been like a few times and I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe it's this town, but, uh, still an important skill. I mean, I have such a love hate relationship with it, but, but I guess it's, I guess it's important. Yeah. I, I think it's one of those things that you, you have to keep flexing that muscle. Like once you develop it or else like it just goes, doesn't it? Yeah. Like everything else. I mean, you know, Anything that I'm not playing, I really don't remember. So, yeah. 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 And when you went to Berkeley, like, you were already quite an accomplished player before going there? I don't know. I I don't know how to gauge what that means. What what does that mean to you? I mean, what does an 18-year-old accomplished player look like to you? You know what I mean? Yeah, right. They still have the maturity level of an 18-year-old as a human being. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... I think I was, I was technically proficient and, but I didn't have enough experience to, to always play it as clean as I knew how to play stuff. Yep. You know, I think I, I think I would just like be sloppy because I would be nervous or, or, or not warmed up or not practicing something enough or whatever, you know, because we had to go through a lot of things in college quickly. Um, but I knew, th- I did know a lot of theory and, um, and I did have a lot of like ear training under my belt and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I, I knew my way around a guitar a little bit, you know, but like, I don't know, no, nobody thinks their 18 year old guitar player self was, was any good. You yeah, know? sure. I, I, hope. I guess, I guess what I mean by the question. I think I peaked then. So we shouldn't even be having this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so. I, I guess. What I mean is, um, like, if somebody that knew you as a guitar player before you went to Berkeley, as opposed to when you come out, would they be going, "Whoa, nearly!" Yeah, you, you, you. I see what you're asking. Yeah. Um, would you Would you be playing as good as you are now I if you didn't? Have, I, go there? I I don't know if it would have been obvious to the naked uh, to the naked ear. You know what I mean? Because someone who doesn't know what it really like what the details of that situation what like really what let's say instrumental guitar is right then like they wouldn't have been able to hear the difference maybe you know uh or or maybe just like sounds more mature or something like that but i think uh anyone who understands like what it is to study music then yeah maybe they would have been like okay wow like you can see how you have a few years more of of knowledge and experience and examples un- under your skin you know yeah was there any really under invaluable lessons that you learned there like that you just gone oh man i'm glad I- they taught me about this or i mean for me it was really like the the people and the fact that it was a really international school and that yeah. you had people that came in for all over the world to to study there and to have a career in music and they all had their own influences that they were bringing to the table and their own genres from back home, wherever that was and and their own culture and parties that went with it and all this kind of stuff. And, um, and it's kind of actually like what I went there to, to get in a way, because 
I wanted to be a more versatile player and I knew that I wouldn't probably expose myself to all those things on my own unless I was like really forced to be immersed in something like that because I just didn't have at least I knew that about myself that at that time I didn't have the drive to like go looking for it you know what I mean like I could have maybe studied all that on my own but I just I knew that I really had to be put into that situation so um and plus you know like those a lot of those same people they just become like your lifelong friends or people that you play with later on and you know um so it's I think it's a it's a good reason to go to to music school you know because I I I knew then too that like it was always an expensive school it's I don't know if it's ever like a worthwhile investment if you look at it monetarily you know like there and and that's a very realistic side of of all that stuff so um so at least like I I I knew that going in you know like and and it also helps you get over the fear of playing in front of people standing there with their arms crossed looking at you, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's what I'm telling you, like, that was a bonus that I didn't expect. And, man, tell talk about, like, how worried I was about it when, when I started playing with Tony, you know? Because with him, I was like, well, his fans are for sure going to be like... <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't. It really wasn't. Uh, uh, he, he thought it was really funny that, uh, like, we were somewhere in Europe and, like, back then, like, I... I wore a skirt or like a dress a lot on stage and some dude i don't know what i don't remember what country it was i i didn't hear this it was just tony t- telling me that like some guy came to the merch table and he was like yeah like she she's playing tears of sahara and like she's wearing a dress and like i don't understand like how how she's doing that you know or like it was like something like that <laughs> or like that it was like such a like a combination of two things that he just like was not expecting to see together or something. And, and it was like so mind blowing to him that that Tony thought it was hilarious, you know? And I was, I was just kind of like, yeah, that's, that's, I guess like the best I could hope for. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Yeah. Some people um, pick on the strangest things, don't they? Like in. in... I mean, but it was all, it was a positive one. You know, I, I didn't take it in like, of course, like, you know, there's a lot of the, uh, I think there's just kind of like the ignorant comment, like, ig- let's say ignorant compliment about being a female guitar player. Like there, there's a lot of that, but, but this, it wasn't like done in any harm or anything like that. It was just the, the way it was put, like, it was just such a ridiculous concept. You know? Yeah. Right. Right. So, so you also played on Danny Elfman's recent solo album. So anybody that doesn't know who Danny Elfman is, he he's the guy that did the Simpsons theme. And he's also, if ever you've seen a Tim Burton movie and you hear that spooky music, yeah, that's just, yeah. that's always him. Yeah, yeah. And he was also the lead singer in Oingo Boingo. Yeah. yeah. How did you get that gig? And what was it like to work with Danny? Uh, yeah, I still don't know. Uh, I mean, I got... It was like literally a, a one of those phone calls where I there was a number that I didn't know and I literally did the thing like if it's a gig they'll leave a message I'm not gonna answer you know and then like a second later I had the thought like ah, it's never a gig like it's never that when I say that you know uh, and so then there was a voicemail and I listened to the voicemail and it was like hi I'm calling from you know Danny Elfman's studio and we want you to come audition for the you know and I was just like my jaw was on the floor, you know, I, it was like the, it, and then the funny thing was too, it was, uh, it was right after NAM 2020. 
and at NAM, I had uh, I'd thrown my back out like the Saturday morning of NAM, oh, like no. the worst possible. You know oh, what I mean? No. Like, like I had a lot of uh, a lot of obligations that day, and it was like not the day you want to. But it was the kind of and listen, I have injuries. I have plenty of days that I that I, you know nobody knows like that I'm in pain or whatever, but I couldn't move. It was it was like it was like my entire body, and it was I, I yeah like a friend had to come and help me because because I couldn't get up to pee. Like it was it was horrible. Oh no! So I remember like I canceled everything, and then I managed to like drive home the next day, like the four hour drive. I don't know how I did it, and I was so mad at myself. I was like, man, like. I don't even know what I'm doing this year yet. And I really should have like been out there to network and like, this is like terrible timing, you know? And it was like the Tuesday of the next week that I get that call. Cause I kept telling myself, yeah, but like something always comes in January, you know, it's like always with the beginning of the year and then that, you know, somebody always calls. <laughs> so anyway, it was like, at that point it was to audition for uh, his band that was going to do Coachella in the infamous April, 2020. Uh, so I was actually like one of the last band members to be hired and I, and I got through a rehearsal and a half with them before we went into lockdown. So that album really kind of came out of that whole experience, you know, wasn't really in his plan. He slated all of 2020 for, for live performances. He wasn't even really going to work on movies or anything. He really had like a lot of that stuff going on. Um, and, and yeah, and it, it just, you know, for me, it was like, it went away as quickly as it happened, but it was such a, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing group. It's, you know, Josh Freese on drums and Robin Fink is the other guitar player and Stu Brooks on, on bass. I mean, it's, it's like such an amazing group of people that we all connected really quickly and we were all super sad. And, and I think Danny was really like, man, like I was starting to have fun with this, you know? Yeah. yeah you know, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, I was just like, I felt like a singer in a band again. And like, it was really, it was really like a depressing moment, but, but already he was like, oh, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll, we'll get together and like do a music video or maybe we'll, you know, maybe we'll do an album or something. And then like a few months later, he had this like 18 songs, double album written. And he was like, I had to, I had to like force myself to stop writing because it just kept on happening. And, um, and he would like share the demos with us and, and like, just be like, you know, he, he really saved my 2020 just being a friend, you know, like, cause, cause that, that really saved us, you know, like still staying together with the talks of this album and the music and, and all those and going through those things together and the music itself being so COVID uh, current and 2020 political climate current and et cetera, et cetera. So you know, it was happening in real time for us. And, and for me, it was like knowing that I'm not alone in that and, and who better to, to verbalize it than Danny, you know? So it was very quickly, I was like, man, this is going to be the kind of album that people look back at years later and think like, oh, that's what they felt in 2020. Like, that's how people, you know, like, cause I, I read about World War II, you know, it's like, I can only imagine, right? But people will listen to this and be like, oh, okay. Like that's, that's how they really felt. So well, I, I, I'm luckier to be a part of that album. I, I was about to ask you whether you did all the guitars on there, but you, you mentioned that Robin Fink uh, was also mm -hmm. a member of the band. So did yeah. the, the two of you uh, play on the album? 
we did. And Danny played a bunch of guitars too. And oh, cool. Warren Fitzgerald is another guitar player. I mean, it's a huge album and it's got a ton of guitars. That's the other thing, you know, that he was really, I think, in part because of this band. I mean, I don't really know exactly what was the chicken and what was the egg, but he was getting into really like heavy layered guitar parts with this new music already. So I don't know if it reinforced that even more, but there was definitely like plenty for all of us to play. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, like like I played on nine songs in, in two and a half days of recording and I and it was like a lot. <laughs> so wow. I am totally all good with with that, you know, and and I think it's like a really cool blend of of people and tones and players, you know, and the way that he splits up guitar parts is really so interesting, you know, and different than what we're used to or what I'm used to playing or how I'm used to splitting up stuff or thinking about it. And it's, it's like a really different kind of education on guitar, you know, from someone who plays guitar, but it's like not, they don't think like a guitarist. So, so yeah. Like, do you, do you find that just with his film composition background and everything that he's approaching uh, more mainstream rock. Well, it's not really mainstream rock, but um, just his music. Is he approaching it differently because of the the film compositional background? I, I think. I mean, I guess that seeps into it. I think he's approaching it differently because that's him. You that's know, him, I mean, yeah. I think that's, yeah. that's just how he fits arrangements. But, but that's you know maybe that's how that that fell into it. I, I don't. I don't know. I don't know enough about like orchestrating parts for a whole orchestra to be able to tell you if, if that's exactly where it came from. But I, he's just, yeah, man, he just has the, he just the way that he thinks it just divides things a certain way, I guess. Cool. Cool. Now, Nelly, yeah. I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your approach to the fretboard. Uh, Cause I, I just mm. find that everybody approaches the fretboard differently. And I went on a mm -hmm. bit of a trip oh, five years ago uh, or more where I started seeing videos of myself on, on YouTube and when I was improvising, I was playing in a Queen tribute show and I'd stretch out a few solos and I only knew small segments of the fretboard. And if I went outside of that, I'd see these videos of myself just eating shit, just hitting the wrong notes. And I had to really go on a trip to learn the fretboard. And mm -hmm. I just come to realize that everybody's completely different. Are you, do you use the cage system? Are you a three note per string kind of person? What, what are your, your signposts on the fretboard for you um well I'll, I'll tell you but i do have to say like that's very brave of you you know like that's more brave than you're giving yourself credit for because knowing that that's what happens if you step outside and still having let yourself do that on stage is like really amazing so you get some happy accidents you get huh? some happy accidents doing it but I'm saying like, but that's still a, to, to like, let yourself do that on stage is still a courageous choice because somebody else could have easily said like, I'm not venturing out into those spots that I don't know what's going on. Like I wouldn't do that on stage, you know, I'm going to play it safe. So, you know, you can always think of it like that. But uh, anyway, um, well, I mean, I've looked at all the different perspectives, you know, like I've definitely played a lot of three no per string stuff in my life, you know, I've seen it, but, but it's not, it's definitely not how I look at the fretboard. Um, I think actually makes it more difficult to, to break things down visually. And I think things work better um, 
when they're in position, they fall more in line with the way the pentatonic scales look. So that helps a lot of players just kind of see relationships and stuff. But for me, it's a lot of like, I guess cage system would be closer because I see a lot of those arpeggios that that like live in those string sets, you know, like top four strings or middle four strings and that kind of thing. So I'm used to looking at arpeggios and then from that expanding them out to either like a, well, you know, if you expand an arpeggio uh, with one more note, now it's a pentatonic scale. And if you expand that two more notes further, now it's the whole thing, you know? So I'm kind of used to seeing it as like, is it this version or this version? You know, it's like, it's something that can like expand or contract, but the, uh, the arpeggios are kind of at the base of that always, if that makes sense. Yep. Yep. Cool. I guess that's how I see it. You know, that's the best way of, of looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, cause I do think it numbers, you know what I mean? Like I, I, I do look at it like, Oh, here's my one, here's my three, here's my flat okay, seven. Yeah, you know, yeah. whatever. Like, so I, I do, I do think about that. So I, I don't I actively think about, yeah, but it's, yeah. My, my association's like very intervallic. Yeah. Cool. Uh, for anyone that's watching, I'm just going to let you know that Nilly doesn't have too much time today. So this isn't going to be one of those three-hour ones. I said I'd try and wrap it up at around about an hour. And, man, that's creeping up really quick. So I'm just going to let everyone, anyone know that's watching, if you have any questions for Nilly, now's your time to drop the questions so that we can ask. Uh, and while we're waiting to see if there's a, a few questions for you, I'm just going to ask you about uh, current gear as in um, strings, picks, etc. cetera. Uh, and what, what's your, your favorite uh, current guitar right now you should probably ask my fan base that question right because i know what they'll say no it, it is the rg550 so it's a, it's what's the yellow one for. yeah yeah um yeah so that's my current favorite guitar um i mean for more than one reason but i, I think one of them is that i've been playing a lot less seven strings in the last few years and those were a big chunk of my main guitars for such a long time oh, really so, seven stringer well, I mean, I started it when I started playing with Tony and it was like required for the gig. You know, I wasn't, I didn't, I, I didn't ever really think about myself as a seven string player, but I was just like, all right, this is the instrument for this gig. And it became my instrument and part of my sound for a while and part of my writing. So I just went with it for as long as I, I mean, I guess pretty much almost like till I went to Cirque and then I got used to playing, you know, six string guitar. And I was just like, yeah, this well, this is what the guitar is, you know, and, and I, and I really like missed that whole thing. So once I got that 550, I really felt like right at home. Um, but, uh, I used the, um, Dunlop big stubbies, the two millimeter picks. Yep. yep. And, I uh, use, uh, Dean Markley blue steels, uh, nine to 42. Cool. I haven't seen though the blue steels around in years. I didn't, didn't realize that was still a thing. Yeah. Cool, cool, and and the 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 fat picks was that was that a progression for you? Because I used to use little flimsy things. I'd heard that Eddie Van Halen used really light picks, and it wasn't until I went to Nam and I was walking along and I saw Andy James just standing there, and I sort of went, "Oh, dude, hey man, nice to meet you. Your your picking is just flawless." And he he sort of leaned yeah. over, put his hand in his pocket, and went, "I got a secret." Uh, and he pulled out his, his pick and gave it to me. And it was the new signature pick that was about to come out. And it was just dead stiff, no movement in it whatsoever. 
And once I got used to that, I couldn't use a pick with flex in it whatsoever anymore. Mm -hmm. It just felt like trying to write with a rubber pen. So yeah, everything I have now is so fat. And mm -hmm. but you, you've discovered the same thing. Yeah, I mean, it was less of a progression for me. I, I don't know. Although I guess, I guess it kind of was because when I first started like learning guitar when I was like maybe twelve or something, then I used those picks. But I think by the time I knew I wanted to shred, you know, like when I was like just into that and wanting to do that, I, it was like, you got to use a thick pick, you know, it was just like the thing to do, I guess. Um, but I'd been playing those stubbies for so many years and I really got used to the, um, to the grip, you know? Oh, yeah. And so that's another thing that was really hard for me to, to ever steer from after that, you know? So, and again, a, little, a lot of it is like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's just me. And uh, because I'm not super into gear, so I'm not, I'm not like inclined, you know, some people, they just love playing with the toys, you know, they just want to see the newest thing that comes out. They have to get it. Like, I get that. I respect that. You know, that's, that's an aspect of it, but it was just never my favorite thing about playing guitar. So. Yeah. It's funny. You, you mentioned uh, the being used to the grip. Do you find uh, that if you're holding a pick, most picks have got one type of print on one side and then it'll have something else printed on the other and you get used to holding it a certain way. And if you're not holding it with whichever side you're used to hitting your thumb, man, I, I, I'm sitting there, I'm trying to find a convenient moment to flip it around and, and it probably doesn't really matter, but it's just such a minute, small little detail that. I don't know if you'd notice it on these because I mean, the writing is different, but they make the the shape and like the grip itself the same on both sides oh, so cool. i don't know if, if like the texture of the writing is enough to make you feel a difference if you gripped it uh, the opposite way i it can't possibly be i would have i would have noticed it by now you know really? what i mean like yeah I, I wonder if it's just what you're using because those picks really are pretty much the same okay uh-huh yeah, it's just such a small little detail that, yeah, if but, I'm not but, holding it the right but, way. Yeah, well, what is guitar, right? If not small details. so Exactly, exactly. <laughs> uh, there's a couple of questions there, Nilly. Uh, okay. I tried having a quick glance at one before without losing the attention. Yeah. Uh, what's the thing that tonally sets your ear in heaven? Amp, guitar, or pedal, whatever, the one thing that you got to have. I'm taking it that this is, this is Poo Ninja. I don't know if you've ever seen a chap named Poo Ninja that's on all the, that follows all the, the YouTubers. He's always in all the chat rooms and everything. Hey, Mr. Ninja, I really appreciate your support. I'm going to work out who you are one of these days. But I don't think English is his first language, judging by that, the way that was yeah. uh, written. I guess it's like one variable that you can't yeah. do without. Is it all about amp, guitar, pedal? What's that one thing that you got to have? I don't know. I guess it's. Like, I guess it has to be a guitar, just because desert island situation, or I guess your voice, right? I mean, you just. I don't know. I need to be able to make music on something. Yep. So yep. a pedal would wouldn't do me much good without a guitar. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I guess yeah, if I had to. Skim it down. Uh, another one here. Hey, Nilly, really huge fan of your playing. 
I'd love to know which players made the biggest impressions on your own playing through the years and which players you've enjoyed listening to and which players you enjoy listening to these days. Um, I mean, the, the players that I mentioned before were definitely like big influences on, on myself. Uh, I have a ton of influences and, and artists that I love, you know, and, and um, to name off some additional guitarists, I mean, um, I've always loved Luca Thur and Dan Huff and I'm a big Queen fan, you know, and um, uh, Greg Howe and Guthrie Govan and like, you know, all the, all the heroes I've definitely had a phase in, you know, uh, I love, listening to Devin Townsend these days. I mean, and actually it's a lot of like the chiller stuff, not that I don't love the heavy ones, you know, but, uh, but I love that he has such a wide gamut for what he does. And like, he still, you know, obviously is a guitar player, but just for compositionally and, and sonically and what he does is like insane. Absolutely. So, an example of someone that I just, you know, I could always listen to. Yep. It's funny. You should say that I spent last night watching, reaction videos to Devin Townsend singing Kingdom oh, on awesome. EMG TV. And I, I was just watching so many of these vocal coaches who are you know, opera singers and the like, just watching him sing. And then when he sort of takes it from that operatic kind of thing and turns it into a scream, you just see their faces just going. Yeah, yeah, I he? know. Is he? Oh, oh, oh. Wow, he actually got there. What the? <laughs> yeah, man, it's a, it's a thing. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Nilly, we, we're getting up to that hour. So I am going to let you go. And I really do appreciate you. you taking the no, time. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's actually, you know what? I, I appreciate the, uh, the no questions prepared and seeing where it goes thing. It's kind of fun to, to just go off the cuff and, and really let the conversation go where it's meant to go. You know, you're, I think this is episode 61 or 62, and it took me 20 episodes to uh, not totally freak out at the fact that it's live. <laughs> I always figure if it's really yeah. bad, I could always pull it down off, off the web. Um, yeah. But um, I, I did see an interview recently. Um, somebody was interviewing Hank Marvin from The Shadows, and they asked mm. him a question, and he sort of responded for about five minutes, was talking, and then you heard the guy, when he stopped, sort of go, oh, 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 and looked at his next question, and it was completely unrelated to what he was talking about and, and i realized happens. then that no no need to prepare it just have a conversation with someone like you're meeting for the first time and yeah, yeah absolutely uh, man i'm telling you it's uh it's all live theater you know what i mean that's what i learned at cirque it, it's like i i once broke a string in the one moment in the show where i was the only thing on stage and the and, and all the cameras all the side fills all the everything all projections all directed at me and and uh and it was like a huge moment guitar solo and i broke a i broke the it was either i think it was the b string it was either the b or the g string and it was like something that i really needed and the everything was so out of tune because you know floating bridge and all yeah, that's how I broke it. I, I broke it with a dive or coming up from a dive bomb and, and it just snapped at the bridge. Um, and, and it was like the worst, I'm not even going to call it a guitar solo, you know, it was like just the, it was like, 
it was one of those moments where I was like, this is how at least people know that I really played. Because nobody ever thought that, that a guitar was live, you know? Nobody ever believed it because there was no amp on stage. Yep. You don't look like you're plugged into anything. There's no band on stage. You know, there's no situation that's going to tell them that, like, you're really doing it. Yep. And especially since you're all made up in this crazy-ass shit. So, um so that that was like my saving grace. I was like, "Well, I really played it." <laughs> you know, um, just talking about doing the whole uh, live live stream interview thing. Uh, it was halfway into episode twenty with Dave and Mark from Tone Talk, who I know you've been a guest on Tone Talk. Mm-hmm. Actually, Mark was just said hello in the chat room before oh, he, he always tunes in and watches. Uh, and the guys said to me, "Then oh, people love a train wreck. They tune in live to see a, see a train wreck." Damn. So. We do. And you know, it's funny that you say that because when I did the uh, um, Jason Becker's benefit, uh, I did Herman Lee's Twitch show that he does and yep. and he jammed live with every guitar player and we jammed for like, and he told me, he was like, yeah, we'll probably be on here for like three hours. You know, like last time I jammed for like three hours and I was like, you jammed live on the Twitch like for three hours? He does this twice a week, you know? I was like, oh my God. But um. But he was like, man, yo, you have no idea how much people just want to see us fuck up. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, just want to see us blindfolded and playing stupid shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. All right. And you know, know that okay. you're human and that you fuck up as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I'm telling you, if there's anything that's telling us how human we are, it's this Olympics. You know what I mean? Like, man, what a show. <laughs> so, hey, Micah, did you come say hi? Oh, you got a puppy dog there or something. Come here, buddy. Yeah, this is Micah, and I don't know if he'll. Oh well. Anyway. So talking about train wrecks, uh, mm-hmm. I had Jennifer Batten. Um, not long after, the guys from Tone Talk said, uh, "Yeah, people love a train wreck," and she had a dog on on her lap, and the the dog jumped off her lap and took out her laptop, <laughs> hit the power cord. Oh so, and that was my first moment of, well, people tuned in for the train wreck, and you've just seen it. I'm sure Jen will. We'll find back in well, as soon as she can. And- nobody is is better at taking those like a champ than than Jennifer. And I have to tell you, like she has taken this whole live streaming online COVID world. Like no one's taken that more in stride than she has. Like you know, she created this online guitar camp that takes place like every weekend, like or a weekend in every month or every couple of months. I was part of the first couple of them and i just you know i saw the process of her like figuring out like having this idea figuring out this thing like building it from the ground up like having all the frustrations about zoom having the frustrations about social media like having the tanks of the of the live stream of of like the embarrassing moments of forgetting to introduce somebody or introduce a sponsor or like you know whatever it is it's just i i've actually like had the privilege of of watching that so many times this past year and i'm like man nobody has like hit that head on as much as like i have so much respect for her for that you know because it's like i'm gonna make the most out of this situation whatever it takes you know i'm gonna like go through these trenches until i figure this out and it's like you know that's really hard to do and it's like a totally new thing and you just have to dive yeah so Absolutely. Yeah. Now you mentioned Jason Becker before, and just before you mentioned Jason, I actually scribbled down here that I was going to ask you. It popped into my head that I'd seen um, some pictures of you meeting Jason. Did you play in front of Jason? 
Yeah. Um, Was that scary as shit? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Um, But it's funny because it's like people don't realize that he's the one who asks you to play. You know, it's like, I don't think anybody goes in there with the intention of like showing off for Jason Beck or anything. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody goes in there wanting to play. And, 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 and like, you're pretty much told that you're going to have to, you know, um, which I, I kind of love. I love that he loves that. That's, that's so cool. You know, it shows how, how cool he is. Um, but luckily, you know, I, I met him, I think it was like 2012. Um, I was playing with Tony in the Bay Area and near where Jason lived. And he came out, we were on a bill with Uli John Roth. And so he came out to see Uli and I met him that day. And, and, you know, I was, I happened to be playing, so there was nothing I could do about it, you know? So he had already seen me on stage. I'd felt better about that. And we had become fast friends. And so by the time I got to his house for the first, second time, like I was, you know, a little bit more, prepared for what was about to go down but i don't think it ever really gets any easier you know so so he so. came to your gig yeah i mean he came there to see uli his bud you know but we were on that bill as well we you know lucky us right so, wow wow so he, he still gets out in public then i mean it was a long time ago you know it was like almost a decade ago but yep. um yep. but yeah i mean if he can i mean if the venue uh if, if it's a venue that's big enough for his chair and there's no like stairs or there's, you, you know, like there's certain venues that you just can't physically go. And, and, and I think it's mostly like stuff that's local to him, but it is possible. Yeah. Yep. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Cool. Now, again, once I, mean, again? I want to speak for his family, you know, I don't know, but it, it but he was then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's absolutely amazing. The system that his dad's come up with, with the eye oh, movement yeah. to communicate. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's just incredible. Incredible. Yeah, that, where there's family. a will, where there's a will, there's a way. They say, "Yep." Hmm. When there's a Jason Becker, there's a will. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing, amazing. Yeah. Nelly, thank you so much. I'm thank going to you. hit my magic button, which brings up my really cool end screen that goes something like this. Um, <laughs> so everyone, thank you to Nelly. <laughs> awesome <laughs> folks see you later Bye. thank you